If you know me, you know that I love a great wine and food festival. That's why I'm beyond excited that after two years, Pacific Wine and Food Classic is back on October 1st. Named the best food and wine festival in North America by USA Today, this incredible event features top local chefs, premium cocktails, more than 100 wines, live music, and more, all in beautiful Newport Beach. Now, this event is going VIP only for 2022, but you don't have to worry because the best seats has you covered. When you go to PacificWineAndFood.com for more details and to purchase tickets, you can use the discount code SEATS at checkout to save $25 off. That's SEATS, C-E-A-T-S, for $25 off. Once again, that's PacificWineAndFood.com for tickets and more information. And trust me, this is not one you want to miss. This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 98 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality industry from right here in Orange County to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. As always, I'm your host, Croft McCarthy, founder and principal of the Best Seats. Thank you to my friend, Allie Coyle, who provides music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show and you're listening on free feeds, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review. It helps us discover new audiences and helps other folks discover it as well. You can go to thebestseats.com for more content just like this, but do not forget, it is only by supporting over at patreon.com forward slash thebestseats that you get early ad-free listening to each and every episode, exclusive access to the bonus episodes, and exclusive access to things like The Pass, your weekly one-stop shop for all the tasty tidbits and news that you need to know about, which is in, I want to say it's second week at this time of this recording anyway, but that has made its return, exclusive blog posts, and more. Um, episode 98, so this is <laughs> this was not intentional. Um, last week, episode 97, Chef Riley Huddleston um, over at Lido House in Newport Beach. We're back at Lido House for episode 98. With my friend, Stephanie uh, Krawczyk, she is one of the senior food and beverage managers, but more importantly, she is basically responsible for the cocktail programs. She does topside. She does the mayor's table. I didn't intend to line up Chef Huddleston and Stephanie in the same kind of back-to-back episodes. Long story short, what had happened, as some of you who like to kind of imbibe will know, Tales of the Cocktail recently wrapped up down in New Orleans about two weeks ago at the time of this recording. Um, I had been talking with Steph kind of behind the scenes, wanted to get her on the show, been wanting to get her on the show for a while. Um, she unfortunately had a commitment come up right before she went to Tales of the Cocktail, literally the day that she told me the team who is doing the public relations now at Lido House reached out about Chef Huddleston. So serendipitously, you're getting a really cool back to back with two of the very, very talented people at Lido House. Now, obviously, you had Chef last episode. You can go back and listen to that one if you haven't yet, as well as his really, really killer bonus episode. And if you listen to the bonus episode, you know how much praise he has for Stephanie and what she does. Now, 
I've been a fan of Stephanie's for a while. Um, her drinks have always been killer, but her, it's her work ethic that you pick up on so much. She just has this boss energy. It's why she is a food and beverage manager now there. It's why she's been there basically about a month after the hotel opened. She's been there and she's been, been crushing it ever since. And she's one of the main reasons why the hotel was nominated top 20 hotel bars US at Tales of the Cocktail this year. Those were her drinks. She obviously made them under the guise and under the tutelage of Chef Huddleston, but those were hers, and they're all good. And everything she does there is good. She has this unbelievable work history. We get into a lot of it in the bonus episode, so if you don't subscribe at Patreon, make sure you do that. But we talk about her time back east and her time in Montana. But this episode is really, really cool. You get to hear about her philosophy, what kind of goes into making each of the menus, both at Topside and the mayor's table over at the hotel, but also what it was like for her very first Tales of the Cocktail. She's just gotten back. The hotel, unfortunately, did not win the Best Hotel Bar Award, but still, just to be recognized by her peers. How has that changed her? And it did change her. We talk a lot about what it was like experiencing everything that goes on about that, being in such an intimate, intense environment with the people that you work with, not just kind of day-to-day -day your business, but in the industry as a whole. Those people that you may not know are friends until you meet them. Those connections that you may not have been able to make or thought you would have made. And then you go to an event like Tales and you make them. You meet people who you idolize, you worship, you fangirl and fanboy over, and you end up hanging out all night with them. And it can really do a lot to a person that after getting their butt kicked through 2020, 2021, you know, a lot of people in the industry were jaded. Steph has this newfound amazing energy. And we really get into it in this episode She's an awesome, awesome human being through and through. I love the fact that this worked out in such a cool way, especially as we approach the 100th episode, that you're kind of able to get both sides of Lido House unintentionally in basically what's become a two-parter. We should have Huddleston in episode 97, and now in episode 98 of the Best Seats Podcast, my friend, the senior food and beverage manager over at Lido House, and the reason that the cocktails taste so good, Stephanie Krasik. Enjoy. Steph, thank you, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Great way to start off with the word jumble. Thank you for taking the time to sit down today. Um, right back at Lido House in Newport Beach. Not intentionally back here, but we'll kind of get to that in a second, the way that this all worked out. But before we do that, would you mind introducing yourself and giving a little your, bit of your background and what you do here? Of course. I am Stephanie Krasik. I am the, one of the senior food and beverage operations managers here at Lido House and have an extensive background in bartending and mixology uh, so I'm still very involved in the menus and the cocktail creations here at Lido House. What were you doing before you got to Lido House? So before Lido House, I was working at Nordstrom over in South Coast Plaza as a bar manager. Um, so I had a lot of creation with the menus, doing a lot of infusions, barrel aging, um, and started to kind of learn a little bit more on the mixology side before coming here and then partnering with Riley on doing a lot of like the culinary infusions and like uh, definitely elevating the cocktail experience. So I mentioned that we're back at Lido House. Uh, last episode, Chef Riley Huddleston was on the show. Um, I didn't mean to line you guys up back to back, <laughs> but it just kind of worked out that way. You and I were going to record. You had a commitment come up, having to fly to New Orleans for Tales of the Cocktail, which we'll touch on in a little bit. Chef Huddleston was able to come on, but I like that I was kind of able to get you guys back to back. He praised you very, very highly, especially in the Patreon-only post show. Um, but when did you kind of come into Lido House? Because I know he was here initially 
then you jumped on board. What was kind of your role when you first got here and, and what were those early days like working with him? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so I came on Toledo House as a bartender maybe about a month after they opened the hotel. Um, I had been told from a colleague that I worked with, hey, you've got to go to Lido House. It's, you know, it's Newport meets Nantucket, which is where I'd worked prior. Um, so he's like, you know, you've got to try it out. So I came here, interviewed, got hired as a bartender, started to work with Riley and realized that he had a very high expectation for his cocktail menus, which he had a big hand in creating at the time. Um, and so, you know, I'd make this drink and from time to time I'd taste him on things and he'd be like, you know, great cocktail, but this isn't in season right now. And I just kind of be like, oh, okay, like this is the call, this is the expectation, right? So it kind of forced me to learn, you know, learn more about seasonality and why uh, a lot of the big picture things of like, you know, why we do the things that we do here and got to really become close with him. I feel like we're a lot, we're like-minded in the sense that we're, we kind of have this really high expectation for ourselves and also for our teams. And so sometimes we butt heads a little bit in the beginning, um, but we had a really, I don't know, beautiful journey and learning more about each other and the way that both of us work together best. And I mean, now he, he I'm very thankful that he trusts me fully with the cocktail menus uh, for both the mayor's table and top side. And of course, I run everything by him. We taste everything. But I have more or less, you know, full control over the beverage program here um, with his blessing, of course. Anybody who hasn't listened to his episode, again, it's the, the one right before this. Go back, listen to that. You can get the full rundown of the hotel. But basically, you have the mayor's table here, the restaurant. For anybody that hasn't heard that episode, you have Topside up top, which is more of kind of your rooftop lounge bar, really, really busy, bustling. It's no kind of secret that the hospitality industry can be a little transient. Maybe somebody, you know, a six-month stint on a resume is not as surprising it is as kind of the traditional corporate world. What was it that kept you here for, I mean, what are you, three and a half years now? Yeah. What was it that really kind of kept you here working with Riley and, and is really kind of giving you that vision to push yourself and keep growing? Yeah, I think it's the creativity that I've had here. So many other places that you work, either as a bartender or even as a leader, you know, I've, I was in management before I came here and wanted to get back into bartending to really like find my creative passion again for making drinks and kind of giving that guest that wow experience. And coming here, I've had so much creative freedom. I've been able to learn so much. Um, you know, Riley's every, anytime I have a question, I go to him and he like, will take the time to dig deep, show me things, give me books, give me things to read and how to learn to improve myself. And he pushes me to definitely want to be like one of the best at what I do. Um, you know, I hadn't, had I not come here, I probably wouldn't have done cocktail competitions like world class and, you know, go to tales and learn all these things and continue to push. But I think one of the reasons is of course, Lido house is fun because it's, you know, it's small but mighty in that yeah. we're 120 rooms. My gosh, we just, the volume we do here and all the changes that we do and the seasonality and wanting to change the menu frequently and just keep everything changing and new and fresh for our guests so they never feel like they come here and, oh, that's been here for forever. You know, it's like the, the consistency is always there. And um, now in a leadership role, you know, of course I knew eventually I'd want to get back into leadership. Um, and the question was, you know, is it Lido House? Do I want to lead, you know, lead the team here? And I think having Riley as kind of a support system, but also with the understanding that just because I'm going back into leadership doesn't mean I'm losing that creative freedom that really made me want to go back into bartending. So I feel like I'm fortunate enough to have the best of both worlds. I get to be a leader. I get to run an operation and beverage, but I also get to create menus and, you know, put, put my name on, on the map as well. One of the things that I talked about with Chef Huddleston, and, and, and I don't want to make this all about you and him. I do, I do want this to be your own episode, but I do have one kind of last question regarding your relationship is he mentioned in his episode, you know, in a restaurant, 
you want to change something on a menu, you change something on a menu. Here, you do have to go through kind of the bureaucratic process of being at a hotel of this level and at this stature, an autograph collection, high end, you know, high clientele. What's it like for you on the drink side of things? I mean, how quickly, you know, you do work with that seasonality, but what's kind of your R&D process like? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I would say for me, I try to do menus just about three times a year now. Um, we'll change like a menu, I would say like mid to middles of spring or so that'll kind of last us you know, it's crazy. I feel like I just did it, but we'll probably change it again come like September, do kind of a shortened fall season cocktail menu. Mm -hmm. And then of course do a little bit lengthier of a winter menu. Um, but winter here, right? What is it? 68 for the, yeah, you know, know. like, I, is it winter? <laughs> I'm not, not going to put too many hot toddies on the menu, but, um, I think the important thing is for me too, is when I'm changing a menu, it's all about communicating with the team. It's all about, do they know what they're doing? Do they have the time to prep the things? Do they have, you know, the knowledge that they need? Do they have ingredients that they need? Um, I feel like some places are so quick to just do a, a really fast change and everybody gives backlash. Well, I didn't, we didn't know. And yeah. why didn't anybody tell us? Why, why weren't we ready? You know, that's kind of the thing. And then, of course, that bleeds into the guest experience, right? If the cocktail's not being executed correctly, if it's, there's a missing ingredient, if there's, you know, the bitters didn't come in for this drink yet. Um, so for me, the R&D process, I mean, I'm always... I launch a cocktail menu and I take a deep breath for like two days, right? And then I go to the drawing board and figure out, okay, well, what do I want the fall menu to look like for Mayor's Table and also for Topside because those clientels are very different. They have mm -hmm. different expectations. Um, so for me, you know, typically I like to finalize a menu. I have to say Riley and I have got it pretty dialed in now. Uh, the last launch was very seamless for us. Uh, I'll create concepts for him, show him exactly what I'm looking for. We'll decide spirits together. And then, you know, I give about two weeks, give the recipes and all the prep recipes to the team and give them about two weeks from there to be able to execute live. And it's knock on wood, it's been working for us so far. Um, I mean, the fact that it's a hotel, you're not just dealing with your cocktail bar hours of five to 10, five to midnight, you know, five to 2 a.m. God love those ones. <laughs> you are dealing with all day fairs, breakfast, lunch, dinner, much the same as a restaurant. That's right. Do you have to prepare for that in any kind of a different way? Are you looking at cocktails that someone might order at lunch versus dinner time? Or, you know, like you said, kind of topside versus mayor's table. I mean, even the pool right outside. I'm yeah. assuming that's more of a kind of a traditional just speed kind of fast splash. But does that kind of change your approach, knowing that you do have someone who could be here all day to enjoy themselves? Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, downstairs at mayor's table for sure, right? I mean, we're open for, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day. Um, and so it does, of course, on the main cocktail menu, there are a few that are maybe a little bit lower ABV, more brunch focused, um, but still definitely not a brunch menu. And so that is something that we're going to be working on too, is we really want to elevate our brunch experience here. We opened it up from just one day to both Saturday and Sunday. And then we want to eventually create a, you know, maybe four or five cocktail item list for specifically brunch cocktails, be it, uh, some kind of elevated mimosa flight or, you know, Take after Dante, do a Garibaldi fresh. Um, I'm, all, just, I'm all for that. I'm all for it too. If yeah. anybody listening who hasn't been to Dante, go to Dante <laughs> when you're in New York City. So good. Um, so yeah, it's you know, it's it's kind of my philosophy around cocktails is why not? Like I did a coffee and a tea old fashioned style cocktail. I think last fall, people like coffee and tea in the same drink. It's like, well, why not? Yeah. Somebody out there one day decided they were gonna try to mix. Citron vodka and Frangelico, and lo and behold, it was going to taste like cake, right? Who knows? So that's my philosophy is like, well, why not? And luckily enough for me, so far, it's worked out pretty well. That's awesome. 
I want to talk about Tales of the Cocktail because, first of all, congratulations are in order. The hotel was nominated. What was the best hotel bar U.S.? Yeah. Um, for anybody that isn't aware of kind of what Tales of the Cocktail is, it just wrapped up in New Orleans. It was its 10th year? Yeah. 10th year of year. it. Can you kind of give somebody kind of the elevator pitch of what this event is? Of course. It's funny because a lot of people have asked me, especially because, you know, I have a ton of people that I know that aren't in the industry. Well, what is it? And a lot of us have summed it up similarly to almost it's like the the Emmys of the cocktail and restaurant and bar world. Um, it's this, you know, this foundation that nominates, you know, best bartender, best new spirit, best new uh, beverage book, best hotel bar, best cocktail menu, best bar mentor, which I thought was a great one this year. Yeah, that was an awesome addition. Um, yeah, so they do, they, you know, they, they're kind of like the standard uh, for bars and restaurants, primarily beverage focused, but all over the world. It's not a, U, a U.S. thing. Um, and then, of course, the experience at Tails is about a week long. They do a ton of educations you can sign up for. They do tastings. So as long as you get a general admission band, you can go and try new spirits from vendors. Maybe they're not on the market yet and they're kind of debuting them at Tails. You can meet with master distillers. You can learn all about Oda V. There's so many different classes you can take. I mean, it's such, as much as a lot of us in the industry think it's just one big party with like-minded people, right? It is so much more. It's such a big educational piece for those who really want to go and expand their knowledge. And of course, networking is just incredible there. I mean, I've met some pretty amazing people the last, you know, the last two weeks ago, I guess, when I was there and I had, you know, you know, Leo Robeshek from Nomad is bartending for me at an event. And I was, this was like, That's I awesome. was in heaven, right? I was, I was totally <laughs> fangirling. Um, but it is such, it's so motivating to be at a place. They estimated about 20,000 people came from all over the world just for tales this year um, since it had had the last two years off. And to be in a place where there's so many like-minded people who are so motivated and passionate about what they do, it's, it's so contagious. It was a great week. I had a friend describe it to me one time. He said, it's like the James Beard Awards, but mixed with Comic-Con, but everybody is a bartender. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> That's what it felt like, for sure. I mean, your very first Tales experience, what was that like? I mean, it's in New Orleans. And a lot of people think, ooh, New Orleans in July, maybe I don't want to be there. But anybody who had a trouble getting a drink in Orange County two weeks ago now knows why, because I couldn't open up my Instagram without seeing every one of my friends running around New Orleans having the times of their lives. Oh, yeah. I mean, talk about FOMO. Yep. What was the experience like for you? It was amazing. I had no idea what to expect. Um, I went in, I, my experience I think might've been a little different. I was nominated to be a bartender, one of 11 for Marriott at a pop-up concept they were going to do. So um, essentially what we did, we went and met the global team for Marriott and also the Ellis Adams group they put on this pop-up concept that hopefully we can get put into the Ritz-Carlton brand called All Kinds, um, which was very inclusive. They had artwork from local artists in New Orleans posted up in there. It was kind of in this speakeasy vibe of a bar. Um, but we went and, you know, we had two days, two different menus. We had to do help with prep and kind of do that. And then we ran this pop-up bar for two days. And if you had admission to Tails, you could get in. It was complimentary. You would just have to register, right? So People would come in and, you know, stand in line for, we had a line that was about two hours long, I think, most of the day on Wednesday. And people would come in and, you know, get drinks and we'd kind of get to show off our, our talent. When they'd walk into our uh, bar, they would go in a 360 degree digital cube and hear this little spiel, right? And then we actually had avatars of all of us posted for them to see us. That's super cool. Um, I looked like somebody from The Grinch. It was kind of silly my, the way that they did my hair, but it was cute. <laughs> um, but we got to, you know, 
that concept was amazing. And we were fortunate enough to have Donna McNamara, who's the vice president of the Ritz-Carlton brand global come and experience it with us. And um, the concept was amazing. And I think even more so it was, it was the networking with the people. I mean, all 11 of us just, we only had to bartend one day. There were, the bar was for two days. We only, we were only asked to do one day. I think all of us just about were there for both days, helped also on Monday do prep. And uh, we had a media shoot on Monday and just the bonding between all of those people was incredible. Like, I think I posted a bit ago, it was like strangers became family and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. We I mean, we, we still are in touch. Um, and it was just incredible to network with them, to network with the Ellis Adams group and, you know, Gary, who was our, our global leader for Marriott corporate. Um, so just be able to kind of work alongside these people who are so hardworking would be up early, early in the morning, go to bed at like three o'clock in the, in the morning after having been out enjoying ourselves, maybe a little too much some nights, um, was just incredible to be around people, especially after COVID with, you know, up and down and long days and a lot of work and all these things. And then just to be around people who were so celebratory, it was just so rewarding. It felt great. That sounds awesome. And I mean, and, and it wasn't just you guys doing that. I mean, there were countless oh, groups yeah. and brands and, and different pop-up events and different kind of bars that were going on and functions. I mean, Sounds. just for a week straight, yeah. have you caught up on sleep? Barely. <laughs> <laughs> Barely I have. I got back and uh, worked for three days and immediately then went to Vegas for two days. So <laughs> I am trying to catch up on sleep. That's awesome. Um, coming back from an event like Tails, earning that nomination, which I think was so well-deserved and so really, really great to see for the Orange County bar scene, which obviously given the show, I'm a natural advocate of, but I do think that there's some great people out here doing great stuff. What was that like for you to get the nomination? I mean, unfortunately, you guys did not, you know, take home the award for that one. But even still to make that and to get that recognition from your peers at that level, what did that feel like for you? It was pretty amazing. You know, it's been a struggle and I think that I haven't even really realized it. Having bartended, you know, I've bartended on the East Coast, right? Very different drinking crowd, very different clientele. I was bartending at a private club in Montana. Again, very different clientele, very yeah. different menu. And then coming here and just really starting to dial in on all of the things that I'd learned and then meeting Riley and kind of elevating it in a culinary way and bringing culinary into cocktails. And then eventually knowing, hey, I'd, you know, I want to get back into management. And following that for the last two years of managing during COVID and doing anything that we had to do just to make the operation run smoothly and to keep the guest experience at the standard it needed to be at, I think a little bit of me kind of lost the cocktail part a bit and just put on this kind of survival mode, leader mode. And not to say that I forgot, because how could I ever? But I think that I kind of lost a little bit of the passion. And I think that having had tails, having been nominated kind of reminded me like, hey, you're still okay at what you do, right? Yeah. Maybe maybe not veer so far off the path, maybe not veer so far away from the creative side. Because um, of course I get to do menus, but I mean, every day I wake, wake up, I mean, I made this fun little drink last weekend and I sold it to a few of the regulars and they're like, why isn't this on the menu? It's like, well, okay, so, the, so I, I need to continue every day to be creative and not only when I need to put a cocktail menu together. Um, so I think it was, it's just a good push. It's a good reminder that a, we need to do better next year still. Um, but it's a good reminder to continue learning and to continue educating myself, not only on orange County, but what are they doing in New York? What are they doing in Miami? 
Um, and then, and then what are we doing here and how does that compare? Yeah. I mean, there's so many, so you talked kind of early on topside is a different animal from the mayor's table from the bar perspective. What are kind of each of them like? Because I've spent time at both of them, probably a little bit more time than I should have on a couple of Sundays at topside. Um, I think that's what I was told, <laughs> but what are they like from that kind of design perspective of when you're building out those menus? I mean, what does each clientele, cause even, you know, Riley said in his podcast that you have regulars at topside, you much, you know, you have a lot of locals at topside and you're getting that at mayor's table now too. It's not just the hotel guests. It is Newport. It is Balboa. How do you design kind of each menu and what's your approach to it? Of course. Topside is, from what I've understood, and I think that I have a benefit of having bartended at Topside as well, um, that not you know not everybody has that coming in. Um, but Topside's cocktail menu is designed to be very fresh, citrus, fruit forward. Um, a lot of not so much spirit forward cocktails up there. It's more of a you know balanced, very light, bright, refreshing. Uh, spicy. People love spicy cocktails up there, skinny margaritas, spicy margarita. And then how do we put that on the menu, right? So yeah. bringing in, introducing in mezcal more and doing mezcal well. I feel like some people, when they think of a mezcal cocktail, it's maybe, you know, too smoky for your average clientele. Of course, us industry people were like, never smoky enough. The worst description. Right. You know, like, even if you're going to say the word <laughs> more. Right. Like. So I think it's, it's, it's doing these things that maybe they're timid about, timid about, but doing it well and and having that bleed through the, the team, right? It's educating the guests on, well, I don't like smoky. Well, try this. And they try it. And of course, like, oh my gosh, because they've never had it done maybe well, or at least as well as we'd like to think we do it upstairs. Um, but a lot of the topside menu is designed to A, educate the guests, but B, give them something that is similar and that they're going to recognize uh, fresh watermelon juice they love, right? Mm. We have an acai and one upstairs, which just is, it's very health focused and light and not super sweet uh, is what they kind of look for in a general population upstairs. And then of course the mayor's table is more of our craft cocktail bar. Everything is made to order. Um, and that's where we can kind of get a little bit more creative and we'll do, we do a house um, Moscow mule right now downstairs. So fresh ginger shrub, and the fresh ginger has that kind of little bite to it, right? And so people appreciate that because, and again, cocktail connoisseurs or craft cocktail people know the effort and the skill that it takes to do a fresh ginger shrub yeah. and to do it well. And they appreciate, of course, that there's no ginger beer in the drink, right? It's it's 100% made here. Um, and then, of course, spirit-forward cocktails do very well downstairs. People like to see what we're able to do, you know, with certain things, right? I had a bourbon and... Um, reposado cocktail on the menu that's done really well and people oh, i don't know if i've ever done that i've ever seen that and it's a way for us was it just a split base like one to one it wasn't it was um i think it was doing a ounce and a half of the bourbon to half an ounce of the reposado okay. so yeah like just enough to kind of kick it in there and right yeah. just to kind of bring out a few of those flavors um but i think the biggest thing for me when i'm designing like the mayor's table menu more so i think than topside is it's a way for us to to give the guests something maybe they hadn't had before. Maybe we were educating them on something without going too far outside the box to the point where they're like, well, I don't know what any of these things are. How do we create cocktails where you put just enough different ingredients maybe that they haven't ever heard of, but some familiarity where they're like, hmm, I'm interested, I'll try it, versus, oh gosh, I don't know what any of this is. Yeah. Um, is the kind of the fine balance. And then of course, making drinks designed to 
want to be ordered again and again. Uh, I don't, I'm not a big fan of designing a menu where they'll have that drink, but you know, probably only one. Um, I want to make drinks that people can enjoy from the first to the last sip and then maybe want to get another one. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the mentality that I have. And I think us just being able to educate the guests on certain drinks, especially after COVID when everybody was kind of, you know, stuck inside, maybe they couldn't travel. Now they're out. And if they wanted, you know, a classic Tito's and soda, they could make that at home. You know, I want to give them something here where they can't replicate it at home. I mean, well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me relooking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potager comes in. Heirloom Potager designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef, Owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotager.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potager, P-O-T-A-G-E-R.com today. Once again, that's heirloom potager. If you listen to the best seats at all or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, it's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more, so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. Amass Botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly if I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up. Any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood. Now, I'm a big fan of everything that Amass does. I have been since day one when they launched their trademark gin, and everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent. Now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to amass.com and using the discount code THEBESTSEATS15, that's C-E-A-T-S, at checkout. Now it's limited one per customer, so make sure you load up. But trust me, you can't go wrong with anything they're doing. I stand by Amass 100%. They're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house. So again, go to Amass.com, that's A-M-A-S-S, and use the code THEBESTSEATS15 at checkout. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. I mean, I made the joke about spending a couple Sundays at Topside, but I mean, it should be noted that there is a volume difference. I mean, that place can pump. You mentioned that you bartended up there. I mean... You talked about how the mayor's table is much more of kind of a handcrafted experience. Would you consider topside? I mean, it, it is speed in the fact that when you guys are going, you're going. Right. But are you looking into things like, you know, kind of pre-batching, looking to put cocktails on draft? I mean, things like that when you're kind of, are those things that are in your consideration for up there? Yeah. A lot of things up there, honestly, are pre-batched. Um, I would say we do, you know, liquor batching and then the juices in batch. So we have two different bottles and it's just 
those two things and you know the drink flies off the handle just try to make it a two-touch cocktail and just that's it yeah yeah it's the volume and i think when i first came on into the leadership role the menu was slightly more limited Mm -hmm. we had like four signature cocktails and they all did extremely well um we weren't touching the mark on all the spirits on all we weren't capturing every clientele's needs at that point so i think now we have eight or nine signature cocktails and for a for a outlet that does the volume we do to have that many of them i mean of course our our topside margarita and our devil to pay sell the most they've been on since we've opened the hotel but all the other cocktails probably sell fairly equally so to have that many cocktails that just fly off the handle it requires a lot of prep from our team and i can't i mean i could not do the many as i do without their support so it it's definitely a team effort there you talked about giving a guest something familiar but different you know kind of giving them some of those flavor touch points that they're like oh i know this but there's something else in here and i like it and it's kind of provoking a little bit how brave are you able to get i mean you know are you going to be throwing like a caipirinha on there with a couple of riffs on it at some point or no because then you'll have to explain you know cachaça and you just don't have time to do that when you're three deep at topside i would say likely those kinds of things may not go on the menu at topside but there's no reason why they wouldn't at mayor's table because the servers and our bartenders have a little bit more of that time to release. Yeah. I mean, down here it's different, right? There's 20 seats at the bar. People are sitting around your bar. They're watching you. It's much right? more intimate. Top side, it's a lot, especially on our busy nights of walking up to the bar ordering and then going and sitting or standing. Um, it's not as much of a guest kind of watching the experience all the way through throughout the night. So I think down here at the marriage table, there's more opportunity to really wow the guests um, of course, we have our kitchen cocktails, too, that Riley created, you know, liquid nitrogen to order. And it's kind of that wow factor that you can give the guests. But I think down here, there's no reason why we can't start doing those kinds of things. And I think we've taken steps in the right direction to get there. And then, of course, it's just, you know, doing elevating it even more. Do we have an, another maybe high mark list where we're doing tableside cocktails? Maybe I'm doing tableside cocktails down here and, you know, being the one that's describing them and educating the guests on them. So, um, yeah, it's coming back from tales definitely has inspired and also overwhelmed my brain with <laughs> what next? Um, because it's, I mean, it's already August. I can't even believe it. And fall menu is just around the corner. So I've yeah, definitely nipping at the heels there. Yeah, yep, that's I've definitely on the way. been, um, definitely been brainstorming for the fall menu because I do both the mayor's table and topsides menus. So I try to release one maybe a week or two apart from the other. Just to give the team kind of a little bit of time to like get that first one under their belt. Right. And then this uh, this round, I think both outlets, although definitely for mayor's table, I'm trying to figure out topside. I want to have at least 50% of the menu done by the bar team. So have them submit cocktails to me. And, um, and then, of course, once they get approval from me to, to have Riley taste them. But um, I'd like to let the bartenders get more creative and have more of a say in the cocktail menu to keep them motivated creatively. I mean, most of the time with a cocktail bar um, or even just a, a restaurant bar that has a great cocktail program, you're working with you know a good sized team, but it's nothing unmanageable. How big is your team here? From a management standpoint, I mean, how much, are, I mean, aside from just the fact that you're doing the menus in the two restaurants, right. what are you overseeing here? Yeah. I mean, as far as just like scale. Our bartender team in total, I think we've got about 12 or so split between both outlets. So they work the mayor's table and or top side. Um, And then, of course, I have a team upstairs with servers and support people of about 15 or so. Um, So my my general um, 
responsibility is topside. Mm -hmm. And then of course, beverage, I oversee beverage for the whole hotel. So yeah. banquets and our coffee shop in the pool. And then of course, mayor's table and topside. Um, and that is a big ask. We are very, very beverage focused as a hotel, um, Newport, you know, you know yeah, how the clientele is here. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's overseeing them, but it's also just keeping that good relationship open with the bartenders specifically. Um, because again, right, without them, my ideas can't come to light. If and do you have, do you have them get behind the stick both up top and down low? There are certain uh, bartenders that do both. I would say I have probably three or four that are traditionally strictly at top side. And then I would say there's probably about three or four that are traditionally just at mayor's table and the rest kind of do a little yeah. bit of a float. Um, and top side is this kind of seniority, right? It's like the people who've been here the longest. A lot of bartenders that tend to bartend in this area really like that high volume, fast pace um, kind of atmosphere. Mm -hmm. But I think the downstairs you know, Mary's table, people have asked me if money was no object, what outlet would I rather work in as a bartender? And I would pick Mary's table any day. It's just more craft. It's more of an opportunity to show off talent. Um, and it's more of an opportunity to really connect with your guests because again, they get to sit at your bar and kind of watch you and you're more, yeah. you're more on stage there. You're not just sending the drink out into the wild. Right. Um, so I, I love it down here. And I think that allowing the team to have, have a say in the menu, right? Naming the drink, designing the whole thing, from you know start to finish, and then just of course running it by for approval, I think will keep them motivated and it will give them a good talking point with the guests as well. And I mean, I know for me, like I was bartending and I was starting to design the menu, and it was really motivating because then when they ask, you know, who came up with this, you can say you, and it's like, oh my gosh, right? And and then they want to come back and see you because yeah. you made them their favorite drink. Um, you mentioned kind of how overwhelmed you were coming to, kind of back from tales, like still still just processing all of that because it is a massive experience, but. You also kind of talked about your management style during COVID and during that time of being more survival, right? And kind of losing that intimate touch with the cocktails. And, and I know we're kind of winding down this main episode a little bit, but I do want to ask, did you get anything out of Tales, at least that you've been able to process so far that you're hoping to kind of integrate into your management style? Or maybe there was something that you were doing here that you didn't realize they were also doing in New York or Miami, like you mentioned, you're like, oh, I was right, maybe even when I thought I was being wrong, even during those kind of survival times. I mean, because Tales is, a, again, it is about the bar community, but it's not just bartenders. I mean, you are talking management, you're talking media, you're talking kind of distributors, all the aspects that go into it. What are some of the things that you've been able to take away from all those kind of people that you met at Tales with regards to managing? Yeah, I think one of the things is that this industry is smaller than we realize. Um, so many people know people who know the same people that you know. Yeah. And I think partnerships in this industry go way farther than people give them credit for. Um, and then in terms of, you know, my management style, it's when I was there, especially working as close to the team that I was with, everybody was just all hands on deck at all times. There wasn't anything that one of us wouldn't do for the other person. And so I think throughout COVID, how some people got really jaded to, you know, uh, another, you know, it's my sixth day in a row. It's all these things. I think yeah, just burnout, like, yeah. I think it's just having the humility to be like, yeah, you know what? It is the sixth day and it's hard and not trying to put on this facade and these like unrealistic expectations on people. Um, I've always been somebody who I feel my management style is I'm 1000% have my sleeves rolled up and I'm ready for whatever at all times. I'm not afraid to do dishes or bus or jump behind the bar for an hour to help the team. Yeah. And I think that Tails just really 
reiterated the importance of that for me, the importance of having a leader behind you who isn't afraid to get their hands dirty and really help out rather than be somebody who's kind of off to the side and hands off during the times that they really need to be there supporting the team. So I think just being around all these people who were helping each other left and right, I mean, strangers just like picking up boxes and helping people carry them outside and doing all these things and pitching in to make Tales the experience that it was. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest things I took back from like a management style is that, you know, not everybody's going to have their best day every day. And it's just being able to be more flexible with people um, while, while also finding that balance of holding the expectation as well. Um, cause I think, you know, for me, I was, I was before COVID, I'm, I was so OCD. It was so everything had to be just right all the time. Yeah. And then of course COVID happens and they're like, you can open outside only 50% capacity. Just kidding. You can't open at all. Oh wait, you can open inside, but it has to be 25% capacity. And so that kind of just made you kind of go with the flow. Right. And you have to adapt. And I think that the people who did really reap the benefits of that. Um, and so now I've kind of just, well, you know, we'll get through it. We'll figure it out. Yeah. And people are like, wow, is that really you? Because that was so just not the way <laughs> it was before. Um, so just, you know, keeping it light and just making your team know at all times that, you know, there's nothing that you wouldn't do for them. Yeah. Um, as a leader who's had leaders like that in the past, I know how far that goes. Um, and so that's definitely something that I try and, and show off to my team. You going to try to go back next year? Absolutely. And for bartenders that are listening that may not like, they're like, oh, you know, I just, I bartend here. I mean, would you recommend that anybody who can go try to experience it at least once? At least once. It was, it was by far the best week I've had by far. Even though it's New Orleans in July. It was, <laughs> so we had a, we had an intimate dinner in, uh, at Tails. We were very fortunate enough to have a Cointreau uh, dinner with the master distiller up in the penthouse of the Ritz Carlton. Nice. So this beautiful patio upstairs and we're out there. It was must have been, I don't know, 5 p.m. And there was a breeze and it felt maybe like it was only 80 degrees. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this is beautiful. Like it wasn't it wasn't as hot as I feel like everybody thought it was going to be there. No, I know. I'm, I'm being facetious about it. it. Everybody said it was actually it was bearable this year. I know bearable. years past people say <laughs> that it was just like you, you don't go outside really or you don't stay outside for long. But this year was it was it wasn't so bad. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. What do you. What are you most kind of looking forward to in the future? I mean, now that you're kind of back, you're prepping, you know, we're going to start to be prepping, you know, new menu moving into the wintertime. You know, we're kind of transitioning out of summer. You're going to get that last oomph of Labor Day and and I'm going to say Godspeed ahead of time. Um, <laughs> what are you kind of most looking forward to yeah, moving forward? It's a great question. That's actually something I've been thinking a lot about since Tales. Um, I've been doing a lot of reflecting on what it is that I would like for my near and then kind of down the road future. Um, and I think for right now, I'm really excited to kind of take what I've learned at Tales and apply it to a new menu and see what that does, right? Does it get the traction that my other menus did? And, and where do I go? And how do I know what is the right way? Yeah. How do I know? Because I've had people say, oh, these are your best menus yet. And I was like, okay, well, if they're my best menus yet, where do I go from here? You know, so it's all about educating, educating, educating myself to be able to elevate the menus again and again and again, season after season. So for me right now, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of nice because it's just me against me at this point. Right. I'm of course leaning on all of my friends in the industry, yep. helping, you know, asking them questions like, do you think this will work? Is there a better way to do this? What do you think about this? Um, and then it's just kind of 
it's on me to learn the things that I need to do to be able to elevate and continue to elevate the menus to the guest standard uh, for this hotel. And then kind of the down the road future. And I got to, you know, we went to this another evening we had out um, at a Delma Gay party. Nice. And I was talking to a few people in the industry that I knew from Orange County. And I said, what we're doing with all kinds, what we're doing with our pop-up, elevating the beverage program throughout Marriott as a, as a hotel, yeah, right? There are, there are hotels across the world where people go because they know that they have an exceptional food and beverage program, that their cocktails are unbelievable. For me, at least domestically, like whenever I go to Vegas, right, I stay at Park MGM because I know they're affiliated with Nomad. And yeah. I know that Nomad is notoriously known for their cocktail program. Um, so why can't Marriott have that? Why can't there be a whole brand within Marriott or certain more properties that are known for their beverage programs? Um, and so, you know, I've been, you know, I've been trying to get pulled in one direction. Do I leave the company? Do I go here? Do I go here? And I just had this, you know, this beautiful realization after a couple sips of Mezcal that night of why can't we change it for Marriott? And it's, I mean, it's the biggest global travel company out there. Why can't we change that? And I think a lot of people's feedback to me was, well, we're, that's what we're doing right now. That's, this is the start of it. You know, this is it. We're, we're going to change it. And so I think that's kind of, I want to be a part of that. I want to be part of something bigger. I want it to have started here at Lido House, right, with the passion and the creativity that I've been able to, been fortunate enough to work alongside Riley and other amazing bartenders here. But I, I want to change it on a global scale. That's awesome. That's yeah. really, really cool. And obviously the passion is there and it's tangible. And, and yeah, I, I think that that would just be a phenomenal thing. And what a hell of an endeavor that would be. Um, Steph, I want to wrap up this episode. I want to keep you around for a Patreon-only post-show. Obviously, we can be a little bit looser there, and I've, I've got some other questions that I want to ask on that one. But if people want to um, you know, come to Lido House and kind of find you and experience the drinks or kind of touch base on social media, places like that, where can people do that at? Um, yeah, I would say please, please follow me on Instagram. My handle is distilledsteph. Um, and then shoot me questions, ask anything that you want. And please, please reach out if you are coming to Lido House, be it topside or mayor's table. I'd be happy to welcome you in, greet you with a couple of the drinks off the menu and kind of just show you around and, and uh, let you experience a day in the life of my creative brain on our cocktail menu. <laughs> as <laughs> soon as she's had time to rest a little That's bit. Right. Give, That's give, right. Give her at least a day. <laughs> Uh, well, awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for the time on this one. Like I said, we'll keep you around for a post show, but wishing you nothing but the best moving forward. And I can't wait to see what you, what kind of even more great life you breathe into this program coming back from Tales. Thank you so much. I appreciate being on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Stephanie for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you to the team at Lido House for being so awesome. Um, even down to just the guys who were running the valet two weeks in a row rolling up to record these episodes the hospitality of that hotel could not have come through more so thank you to everybody who made the interviews possible but especially the guests and especially this week's guest stephanie krosik she's so awesome again you still got a lot of great weather ahead of you here if you're living in southern california get out to topside or the mayor's table enjoy them say hi to both her and chef huddleston obviously if you're listening to both 97 and 98 in these episodes and again these episodes are not possible without the advertising partners everybody who supports on patreon you make the show possible each and every week even if you're supporting on free feeds i love you too thank you again to ali coil who provides music i'll see you soon take care the best seats podcast is an original production of the best seats it is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. 
It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash the best seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. Cheryl McCarthy, Serena Warino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Paige Reardon, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito No Rito, Sarah Hines, Subtle Bubbles, Jay Baker, Tim Swine, John Sanchez, Timothy. Thank you for your support.